little light of mine, I'm gonna let it shine. This little light of mine, I'm gonna let it shine. This little light of mine, I'm gonna let it shine, let it shine, let it shine, let it shine. Welcome, Talk Catholic, the website.com, your host, Tim Kilcoin. No agendas here, just the straight and narrow, through Mary to Jesus, the Catholic faith proclaimed and preserved. Hope to see you here every week. Catholic.com with Tim Kilcoin, and we are onward to part two in our interview with Father Lawrence Kearney, who has written a wonderful new book, The Secret of the Holy Face, The Devotion Destined to Save Society. And this is so appropriate for the turbulence of our times in turning to the spirit of reparation and atonement right now to truly repair society and the church for the many, many sins that have been committed over many decades, and the price is yet to be paid. But, by the way, this is First Saturday, so don't forget Our Lady's promises to those making their five consecutive First Saturday devotions. And next Friday is October 13th. Do you have any blessed beeswax candles in your home? Because, don't be surprised, we don't know the day or the time of when Our Lady is going to intervene with her triumphant heart. But the difficult stuff has to happen before that. And boy, there are a lot of dots that have been connecting. And October 13th is a most significant date in church history. Fatima, the miracle of the sun. Okay, so we offer all of this to the holy face of our Lord, that face that was scourged and just racked with blood and tears on Good Friday. It's a very powerful devotion highlighted by Father Lawrence Carney. I'll pick it up at the point where he's referring to groups that may want to establish a League of St. Martins which honors the Holy Face. You can start one of these confraternities. Go to martinians, plural, dot org. And amazingly, it sounds so, as I put it elementary, but he walks around and meets God's people locally wherever he is with his crucifix and saying his rosary, and he tries to make himself available to all of God's children, you and me. And so often it's a spontaneous in-the-street ministry. This is something, ladies and gentlemen, we just got to get back to the scriptures and take a look at exactly how Christianity was spread. It wasn't spread by keeping the faith, quote-unquote under the bushel basket. It was indeed spread with that sweat and tears, but it's all worth it when we see the glory of Christendom once again. It can happen. Let's hear Father Lawrence Carney in part two of our interview. One of the main things we do is we encourage people to pray once a month together with this devotion. Okay. And that's part of what the devotion asks for, is that there's a monthly prayer meeting or a chapter. Okay. But that's what happens when I leave is people get fired up mm. about starting a league of St. Martin oh, okay. or they, they start any group that devoted to the Holy Faith. And what's neat is lots of times before I, I have my talks, they're usually in the evening. Yeah. I pray the rosary, I walk around the town, walk around the parish and guess what? Our Lady put and the Holy Spirit put all kinds of inspiration Absolutely. in me. So I preach to that because yeah. it's particular to that group and their situation. It's really cool to see 
how the Holy Ghost is working. And then the people get really fired up because it's, it's not like something I read from script. It's yeah. something that was meant for them. Yeah, yeah. There was a particular priest. He's a Franciscan. And I, I've been, he's on the, on the elderly side at this point. But I was urging him. I said, Father, why don't we just go out downtown and have dinner at, at as many restaurants as we can? And <laughs> <laughs> all you have to do is wear your garb, and we might convert this whole place. <laughs> That's right. That's what it's all about. So, I mean, I've always, I find it just fascinating. I have a book somewhere about Catholic street evangelization. Have you been privy to that particular book or anything like it? Because this, this is like as elementary as the first apostles, and yet so far removed from our consciousness as Catholics. <laughs> yeah. I, I, yeah, I mean, we have such an advantage because if, we wear the habit of the Catholic now yep. compared to hundreds of years ago. We got people in automobiles, you know, they're seeing us more than ever in history. Yeah. They can see us in our Catholics and habits. So, and that does something to people because it's a sacramental. It's exactly. by the church to give grace. And it, it gives people grace. So exactly. I've written a book called Walking the Road to God. And my publisher would write this book. And I said, what should I write about? Mm. I said, Just write the stories down. That's all it is. It's a bunch of stories. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's, it's great. It yeah. was easy. It's just rudimentary. Oh, it's like tell people, how do you do it? Okay, you fit one foot in front of the other. <laughs> you get a rosary. You wear your cassock or you wear a habit. Yeah. Or you put on something that's Catholic that's approved by the bishop. Yeah. And then you just walk around. And when people come to you, you talk to them. Oh, this is, this is fabulous. This is, you know, I'd like to say revolutionary, but not, you know. <laughs> it's, uh, it's the opposite it, of revolution. It really is. <laughs> It really, it really is. Like, I, I wear a little Eucharistic pendant. And bought 1,500 of these. I pass them out very generously uh, at the supermarket <laughs> checkout line or whatever. I, I mean, rarely, rarely have I ever had anything negative come my way. They're always fascinated, and uh, they'll say, what is that? And I say, well, that's our Lord in the monstrance. That's what that's called. And if you'd like to meet them live, I then send them to the address of a, a perpetual adoration chapel. <laughs> yeah, and I, I, I'll hand this out to the homeless or whatever. And I said, do you want God to change your life? Well, all right, then take this and then go here. <laughs> At 24-7, he's, he's waiting for you. Uh, but it's been a tremendous little, boost to my day because it's so easy to do you know in the little mundane situations that you find yourself i was in a, a big uh, hardware type store the guy immediately just opened up his whole life to me when he saw the, the little eucharistic pendant how father which kind of leads us a little bit in the direction of getting some of your comments on the current spiritual climate and we know you and i know anyway that the invisibility of the garb uh really took place decades ago you know this is post vatican ii stuff where they they chucked the cassock or the sisters uh, abandoned the habit etc did it simply lead to an anonymous christianity not to be too heavy but uh, my, that's my personal opinion is that we really lost something very special well yeah the two main reasons why jesus christ left the church was to give god right worship yeah. and to save souls okay so the cassock i've been wearing it every day for 13 years okay and it does things to people yeah they see it and when 
when they see me, they know that I'm a priest, or they'll find out if they ask. <laughs> That's and then for sure. I can act as a priest to them because they'll ask for something that a priest can give them. Right. And if people are religious, wear the habit, mm. then they can act in their state of life too, which is to pray for uh, people and, and, or to answer questions to apologetics to defend the faith or whatever exactly exactly we need to have these interactions because this world is just a test to see if we're going to get to heaven or to hell right and the catholic church is there to bring people into heaven and, and as so we need to be visible exactly visible and it uh, lifts you up to be a better evangelist when you have these experiences correct yeah uh, fantastic it, Reminds me of who I am. Right. Reminds right. me, hey, I'm a priest. Right. I need to act like a priest. Right, which you should be darn proud of, right? I mean, there's nothing wrong with that yeah. kind of pride. Yeah, right. every day that goes by, every day, I love being a priest more and more. Awesome. Awesome. It's yeah. so sublime. Yeah, isn't it a shame? St. John Marie Vianney. Yeah. St. John Marie Vianney said, if people knew the value of a priest, they would cry not of sadness, but of joy. Yeah. They would just cry. Yeah. And they would, you know, it's just so much. Yeah, yeah. You know, this theology, maybe you can speak to it. How did they move in the direction of kind of a Protestant theology of anonymity? Well, as you may know, the church is in the way of a lot of people that are power hungry. Okay. And it's no secret that the church has been infiltrated by some of these enemies. Yeah. In fact, St. Maximilian Colby was dealing with the Freemasons mm. when he was studying in Rome as a Franciscan. Yep. And they were in the streets having parades against the Catholic Church. And this isn't the only group. There's also the communists. Yep. There's other groups, too. And they have infiltrated the church and are trying to store her from within. Yep. And I've been told by officials in the Vatican yep. that... They don't want one pillar of the Roman Catholic Church to go untouched. They're going to try to destroy the whole thing. Wow. So God is allowing this to happen because our human family, our world, our 7 billion people, yeah. we're just turning our back on God. And that's what this devotion to Holy Faith is all about. Mm. The number one revelation that Jesus Christ gave to Sister Mary St. Peter in the 1840s is this. Jesus says, My father is greatly dissatisfied with the human race for two things, blasphemy, and profanation of Sundays and holidays of obligation. My father's not going to punish the human race so much with the elements of the scourge of revolutionary men. Mm. Where the attack on the family is in full bore. Yeah. 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 No, I, that, that whole movement, you know, to, I, I'm speaking to it all the time on my show. The, you know, I'm, I'm deeply concerned about you know the synod on synodality and what its conclusions are going to be are frightening because it's just the people that are leading it you know tend to be of exactly uh, the background that you're 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 referring <laughs> you know that this this uh, meshing with the world and its you know global design uh, the reset the whole thing uh, is really a, an attempt to completely water down diminish and destroy anything that is essentially catholic you know very much a characteristic of who we are as catholic and thus you know the response has to be to be more catholic right you know to conserve those traditions 
that are distinctly Catholic and remind us of, may we call it a better time in the church when she was in her heyday. I just um, trying to remember, I was finishing up a book review on keeping the church Catholic with John Paul II by Monsignor George A. Kelly, his rendition of the glory days of the church being, you know, let's say in the 1950s, uh, where everybody had the moral compass and uh, there was very little division and very little divorce and many other good moral trends were in vogue. It all just kind of spiraled in that downward direction post-Vatican II. So this holy face devotion is reaching deep into the bucket, that good spiritual bucket, to remind us of some of the traditions. I'm wondering, is it comparable to other traditions that virtually saw their extinction and, and then later their resurrection? Well, yeah, I mean, the Old Testament, God tells us mm. in Ezekiel 26, if you follow my commandments, I'm going to give you these blessings, and he lists them. If you don't follow my commandments, then I'm going to let your enemies take you over mm. and that's where we have the captivity of the israelites in egypt and then we have the babylonian captivity yeah so heaven is telling us hey this is going to happen to you again start following my ten commandments and it doesn't take a lot of good and holy holy people to do that it only takes a few but this devotion reminds us if we can't get the first three commandments right, right. how can we get the other seven right exactly the first three deal with god yeah. So if we have blasphemy and irreverence in the sanctuaries, yeah. and if we have if we don't worship God on Sunday, yeah. then it's over. I mean, we can't get the other seven right. There's put, no way. Put God first. Right. I am delighted that we've had this opportunity, and I wonder whether you could give us a little ending prayer, and you and I can pick it up for uh, another segment at some point, I pray. Sure. Let me give you a blessing. Thank you, Father. Sure. Benedictio de Nipotenti. Patris et Phoebe Spiritus Anshinit Super Vos et Manius Semper. Amen. Amen. God bless you in this unique work that you are doing. Truly, I hope and pray, as they would say in the internet world, it goes viral on the road. <laughs> Father is indeed a man of the road with crucifix as he came to visit us back in August of this past year, and he might be willing to go to your parish. So seek him out in Kansas. On the other side, we'll get back to our book review with Professor Edward Sri, Who Am I to Judge? This is WQPH Radio 89.3 FM. Well, let us celebrate two wonderful feast days last Sunday, the Feast of St. Therese, and this past Wednesday, the Feast of St. Francis, and the spirit of both, in this song by the Daughters of St. Paul, The Prayer of St. Francis.
Okay, Professor Sri, in our last session, we were in chapter three, entitled, But I'm Not Hurting Anyone. And he gave the scenario of the person asking the question about a guy that's on a business trip and he meets a woman who's also on a business trip. They're both away from home and loved ones. And the great dilemma occurs in the hotel lobby, probably, whether they're going to... Uh, cheat on their spouses. And the question, of course, arises, well, you can't cheat because you've got a vow. You're in a contract. It's called a covenant for those of us religious. You break that and you break your relationship with God, first and foremost, not to mention your spouse. It hurts God, it hurts the spouse, and it hurts you. Well, the person that doesn't believe, this other fellow, he's just labeling all of that Christian stuff. Oh, you're one of those religious nutcase jobs. And so we're kind of like making up these rules just for us Christians as we go. No, the natural law, ladies and gentlemen, even if we were not Christian, not religious. Remember what St. Paul said about how do the pagans do what is right? Because the law is written in their heart. There is a certain code of decency written into the fabric of human life, written into the fabric of human people. Now, of course, there are many that don't agree with that, but it's there. They can deduce it by reason alone if they sit down and ponder carefully enough. Check out St. Thomas Aquinas's five proofs for the existence of God. They're based on reason alone, not just divine revelation. And that the real reason why some of these things, like adultery, are evil and not to be done is that it affects character. And this is the topic not cool in the modern era, that you have a sense of ethics because you have a character to uphold. In the old days, you used to hear the expression, he's a person of real upright character. You virtually don't hear that ever these days. In fact, he gives a particular example here at a funeral. He says, imagine it's yours, your funeral. You lived a long life and the people closest to you gather to pay their final respects. Some of them will stand up to say a few words. Picture those loved ones walking up to the podium, your spouse, children, siblings, friends, colleagues, and neighbors. One by one, they speak about your life and what they appreciated most about you. What would you want them to say? When asked how they want to be remembered most, people typically give two kinds of responses. First, they tend to mention various noble qualities. They want to be remembered for being loyal, kind, generous, joyful, hardworking, courageous, caring, loving, honest, selfless. They want to be remembered as the kind of person who made an impact in a moral way. And by the way, those are the gifts of the Holy Spirit that he just rattled off. Second, people also tend to describe the relationships that are important to them. They hope to be remembered as a good friend, a good husband or wife, a good father or mother, a good colleague, someone who made a difference in other people's lives. Practically no one says he hopes to be appreciated for being wealthy, powerful, or famous. Imagine a friend standing up at the funeral and saying, Bob was a great guy, he had so much money. <laughs> the amount of savings he had in his bank accounts was just astounding. What an amazing man Bob was. I don't think so. Neither do people mention popularity as the chief quality which they want to be remembered. Pondering this defining moment, the funeral, the moment we will be remembered by our closest relatives and friends, cuts through the many activities, pursuits, pressures, and preoccupations that fill up our daily lives. It helps us to get to the heart of what really matters most. And while there is nothing wrong with having a great career, money, influence, fame, or fun, 
Most of us, when we stop to think about it, realize that there is more to life than all of this. These aren't the most important qualities we want our lives to be defined by. Instead, we think about what makes a wonderful life. We tend to focus on our closest relationships and the qualities, the virtues, that go along with living those relationships well. And this shouldn't surprise us, for having good, fulfilling relationships is at the heart of what life is all about. So what Professor Sri is saying here is that previous to that little episode, he was saying it's hard to talk about morality in our relativistic culture when the person you're having a conversation with doesn't believe in truth or any real right or wrong in the universe. There's not much common ground. Every time you try to explain something, you find yourself feeling unsure of how to make the case. You feel humiliated. You feel labeled. They think I'm a religious fanatic. I'm I'm insane. You might even feel ashamed as they criticize you for being judgmental or intolerant. Whatever you're saying is definitely not working and only seems to be making things worse. It's as if you were speaking a completely different language than your friend. If we're going to be successful in our conversations with relativists, we have to ask the question behind the question underneath the objections, who are you to judge or why are you so intolerant? There are much deeper questions at root. And what Professor Sri here is saying is that those deeper questions go to the heart of just what I said previously about character is what you want to be remembered for. So what they're really upset about is that you're suggesting that somehow or another their character is not exemplary. And therefore, what's necessary, as we have said in previous shows, not necessarily the apologetic argument going point-counterpoint with the guy until the cows come home. Professor Sri actually did that, as you remember, in the early part of the book with a professor of his, and it got nowhere. The professor continued to teach relativism to his undergrad students. What he was suggesting is that we take a look at the classical moral view of things. What is that? Well, the philosophers, Aristotle, Plato, you know, the Greek philosophers talked very much about this, and it focused on virtue. What is meaningful? Being kind and generous and caring and loving and honest. Those are the things that make for an ethical, moral life. A life of virtue. And so if you're going to convince your fellow relativists, you have to engage in a relationship. It's called friendship. Otherwise, you're just not going to go anywhere with the logical banter that can just go on and on and on and on and on. He sums it up nicely with this paragraph. Ultimately, ethics is intensely personal. It considers where a person's life is heading and what kind of person one is becoming. It's not merely about public policy, like climate change. No but how one treats the people in his daily life. In sum, ethics is not simply a question of what, what should I do in this situation, but even more fundamentally a question of who, who do I want to become? A few weeks ago, you might have remembered my mentioning a particular friend that I had to take to the woodshed, kind of teacher-student style, and he's a midlife adult with children, married, and given many gifts of the Holy Spirit. Great, great raw talent to be a powerful evangelist. And unfortunately, there were simply particular vices that I had to address with this gentleman. In other words, character flaws. We don't take to those too kindly. In other words, It didn't matter to me how articulate he can be regarding any number of theological issues. It's way more important that he be honest all the time. Keep in mind why Lucifer got thrown out of heaven, pride and lying. Keep in mind that every time a commandment is broken, it has to do with some kind of lie. 
either to God or to others. My friend needed to be honest to the max for himself, for his family, and most of all for God. And that's the report card that we're all looking for. It's not point counterpoint. So when that relativist fires back at your school, who are you to judge? You fire right back and say, how come you're so unhappy? Can we get together next week and check out a movie? Because indeed, together we can. This is WQPH Radio 89.3 FM. Have a great week, everyone. Let your light shine. That is what it's all about here at WQPH Radio 89.3 FM. But we need to hear your story. You want your voice to be his voice. That is making the faith known to others. Please, my number is 877-625-3727. Tim Kilcoyne, TalkCatholic.com. Say Mother Teresa told us, your ministry is your work right where you are. Grab on to this microphone. God bless.